0: It is a great joy that we have such a faithful Savior. Let's turn to the Word and look at how great God's faithfulness is, and our reading from the Word is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's God's word for his people today. You may be seated, and let's pray again and ask for God's help as we turn to his word. So, Father, we praise you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. And so we pray that this morning you would show us your great faithfulness, that your spirit would grow the fruit of faithfulness in us for the glory of your name in us and through us we pray. Amen. I want to start us off by asking you a question this morning. Why are you here? And I know you're thinking, if, if I don't know, then we're, we're all in a bit of trouble. And I am glad that I'm not preaching to an empty room. Don't get me wrong. But I wonder, why are you at a worship service this morning. A quick scroll through social media, or maybe if you would ask people why they went to church throughout the week, you might reveal or does reveal a wide range of reasons that people head to Sunday worship. In our country, there's a whole lot of people that go to church for the experience. The week uh, prior has left them feeling in need of a pick-me-up. And so they're looking f- to get their tank filled before Monday morning. And other than sleeping in or hanging out with friends or watching the World Cup on uh, TV or the Tigers lose again, I mean, th- they come to church. That's their, that's their pick-me-up. Or they're looking for an experience that accompanies singing. Or they want to get a couple nuggets from the message to work on this week. Uh, or hope that the series will fix an area of their life that they need to to get together. Many worship services in America are products of our culture. They're consumeristic gatherings aiming to give the consumer whatever it is they're looking for. And there are many good churches out there, even in our area. We pray for them weekly. We're grateful for them. And there's many people looking for good churches and attending good churches. There's many people longing for them We don't have it all together here at Five Points. That's not my point, but there's one thing that we do have. This service is never going to be about you because you're not even here because of you, whether you know that or not. A Christianity is more about what's already been done than it is about what you need to do or be doing. And don't get me wrong. We do have things to do. (laughs) I'm not saying you don't need to be doing anything. Our Savior tells us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, love him supremely, and follow him. And he sent us out to make disciples of all nations. But we do that because of what God has already done, and because what God is doing, and because of what God has promised he will do. So when you come to a service at five points, our aim is for God to be the center of it all. Because what our world and what we, the church, need most is a vision of God. We need to see Him in in His glory and be so struck by His beauty and majesty that it transforms us and that we walk out reoriented on how we see the world and how we're going to live in it. And so we're not here for a quick pick-me-up before your week gets started or for you to get a couple tidbits to add to your repertoire or as if the Bible's some self-help book. But we're here actually because we can't get it together, because we don't have it together, because we're weak, because we're needy, because we have nothing to offer. And do you know what? That's exactly where God meets his people. You know, what's, you know what uh, is you're met with when you are bowed down and don't have anything to offer? Grace. God gives grace to the humble. Yeah. Do you know who meets those who can't help themselves? Those who, in spite of their best efforts, still sinned and failed last week? Those who look back on their week and think, that's the best I could muster? after all these years of following jesus do you know who meets the weak and the needy and the unfaithful our faithful god i remember uh, during my seminary years a sunday morning at our church in louisville and feeling acutely that weakness and neediness and we sang for the first time the song i will glory in my redeemer and the truth of The gospel in that song struck me again like a ton of bricks as we sang one of my favorite lines from the song this one i will glory in my redeemer his faithfulness my standing place we're in this room because of his faithfulness we're here because of his faithful living loving god supremely not ours not so that we can figure out a few ways to do it better this upcoming week so we can come into this, this room next Sunday not as weak and not as needy. That's not why we're here. We're here because of Jesus' faithfulness, because God is faithful. And you and anything you've done or you could do are not the foundation of the Christian life. Our standing place, the, the bedrock of our faith, is god's faithfulness and because god is faithful his spirit grows the fruit of faithfulness in the lives of his people and so as we've been going through the fruit of the spirit we're going to continue our our structure that we've been following in previous sundays we're going to look at the root of the fruit of god's faithfulness and then we'll see how the root produces the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness in the lives of god's people So we're going to see God's faithfulness and how that produces faithfulness in us. So let's start with the root of God's faithfulness, and we will start with the blatantly obvious. God is faithful. God is faithful. He is reliable. He is loyal. He is trustworthy. Last year, uh, during the school year, Grace came home and Uh, she was telling us about a discussion they were having uh, amongst her classmates after uh, one of their Bible classes, uh, and they were talking about that classic question, can God create a rock so large that he can't lift it? Now, uh, I'm not going to answer that question for you, and so now now the room might be full, but you all might not be with me for the rest of the time, so stick with me. If you want to answer that question, I'll answer it afterwards but let's not talk about let's not talk about the answer at first I want to get to the conundrum right what's the conundrum in that question well it's the Christian belief that God can do all things God can do all things but that's not literally true it's not literally true God can't do anything that's inconsistent with his character so there actually are some things God can't do The Bible tells us there are things God can't do in in the literal sense. Yes, yes, God can do all things, but not literally so. Because it's not that God can be unfaithful and he just chooses not to be. It's actually that it's impossible for God to be unfaithful. God cannot not be faithful. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses is preparing Israel to enter the promised land, and he reminds them that they're getting the promised land, not because of anything in them or anything they've done or any faithfulness on their part, but because God chose them out of all the peoples on the earth to display his great love and his grace, and he promised them a land that he would live with them in. And they are going into this land because God is faithful to his promise. And notice how Moses tells them about who God is. In verse 9 of Deuteronomy 7, he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. For God to be God, he must be faithful. He cannot not be faithful. God cannot be unfaithful. For if God were ever unfaithful, he would no longer be God because he is the faithful God. And I keep saying these things over and over in different ways because we must drill this into our brains, even if it seems like very elementary stuff. Because sometimes the most important things are the most simple things. And as elementary as it may seem, never doubting God's faithfulness will change how you live. We think God is faithful. Okay, we'll blast right through and get on to the deeper stuff. But actually, that truth will change your life. Because I don't know about you, but I often encounter providences in my day that tempt me to doubt God's faithfulness, His loyalty to His promises, his reliability, his trustworthiness. And so let's go back to God choosing Israel and promising to keep covenant with them. He's, God says, You will be my people, and I will be your God. And thousands of years later, Paul's writing the letter to the Romans, and he's confronted with a conundrum of sorts. There are Jews who don't have faith in Jesus. And so it seems like God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 15 is being broken. But listen to Paul's reaction to the thought that God is unfaithful in Romans chapter 3. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true though everyone were a liar. So let's break that down. It's, it's a little, it's not how we speak English these days. So let's break it down. What Paul is asking really is, God not faithful? It's impossible. Even when everything we see would lead us to conclude God is unfaithful, and even if everyone in the world says God is unfaithful, Let's believe God. He says he is faithful. And let's believe that everything and everyone else is lying to us. If what we see and what we hear tempts us to doubt God's faithfulness, let God be true. And let's think everyone else and everything else that we're seeing is lying to us. In other words, will you believe your eyes or your ears or will you believe God? Five points. Know, therefore, our God is the faithful God. And this is not up for debate. Regardless of what you ever see or what you ever hear, God cannot be unfaithful. Fact. Which is why Paul so strongly reacts in Romans 3 to the thought that God might be unfaithful and you realize if you know the the argument of the letter to the romans he doesn't explain how god's faithful for six more chapters he's so disgusted with the thought that god's unfaithful he just reacts strongly right away he just says you're wrong just it's not even up for debate it's so not up for debate i'm not even going to engage in it for six more chapters god cannot be unfaithful his reaction is there's no way is that how you react When you see things or hear things that tempt you to doubt God's faithfulness, maybe you've encountered them even this week. Maybe even this morning. Have you ever put your hand on the stove or on a pan, and even though it wasn't hot, you jerked your hand back really quick because you're just so used to not touching the stove? And that's how Paul reacts in Romans 3. God unfaithful? Never. It's just, it's the instant reaction. He doesn't even have to think about it. You could wake him up in the middle of the night and ask him questions or show him things that might sh- seem to make it seem like God is unfaithful, and he will groggily say, never, and then push you out of his bedroom, and we can talk about it in the morning. But that's the reaction. Day or night, Never. Yeah, yeah, but what about... Nope, never. Even if everything I see or hear points otherwise, I will not conclude there's a problem with God. There's either a problem with how I'm seeing it or what I'm hearing or how I'm understanding things. The problem always lies with me, not with God, when it comes to doubting his faithfulness. I must not be able to see everything, which we don't like to say because we like to think we know everything and see everything. I must not be able to know all that's going on. I must not have all the information because there's no way God could be unfaithful. That's our reaction. And we have to drill this down into our brains, this elementary point, because this is actually the devil's favorite battleground in the lives of God's people, and it has been since the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? That's that's a question getting at the faithfulness of God. Can you trust him? Or how about this? Even if God did say, well, can you really trust he has your best in mind? Can Can you trust him? And let's look at two things then that help us in those moments When we're on the battleground of God's faithfulness, to anchor down into our souls so that we can react, not just stoically, but with faithful and faith filled hearts that God is faithful. Two things that will anchor our lives in God's faithfulness God is faithful in all He says, and God is faithful in all He does. God is faithful in all He says and all He does. So, first, God is faithful in all He says. Because faithfulness is who god is it's his nature it's his character then everything god says is true is faithful you can trust what god says numbers 23 hebrews 6 titus 1 say it in the negative term god cannot lie god cannot lie there's something god can't do god can't lie because who he is is truth he is faithfulness, and so since he is faithful, all he says is faithful. I mentioned last Sunday that a few of us had uh, took Owen down to the Tiger game uh, a few uh, weeks ago, and on our way back to the car, uh, there was a man in the middle of the street yelling at this group in front of us trying to get them to follow him, and I, it kind of seemed like they knew him because he was saying, Uh, like they were saying his name or he said his name, something, I can't remember. It kind of seemed like he thought he knew where the car was parked, but they all really knew where the car was parked. And so they're like, we're not going that way. We're going this way. And he kept saying, come on, you can trust me. Come on, you can trust me. So of course I turned that into a teachable moment with Owen because why wouldn't you at a Tiger game, right? I was like, Owen, if a grown man (laughs) is ever trying to convince you that he's trustworthy, he's probably not if he's begging you to trust him, especially at night, following him down a street in Detroit, don't follow the man. And he was like, yeah. yeah. He knew, right? That is not, <laughs> that's not, not how God is. When it, when it comes to God, we and always trust what he says. Because the God who cannot be unfaithful cannot lie. So all the circumstances surrounding that walk back to the car would make us think, I can't trust that. But in life, when all the circumstances in life might make me think, I can't trust that. We say, God cannot lie. I can trust what he says. Even when I don't know how God will prove himself yet again to be faithful, I can trust God's word. And that's such a glorious gift to us. Because in a world where it's so hard to decipher what truth is, and in a world where who you can trust is often so hard to discern, God's faithfulness in all he says is a wonderful gift that we too often take for granted. God's word is a lamp to our feet. It guides us. It's a light to our path. It illuminates what's going on around us and in us, where we're to go, how we're to react, what we're to do. And it is a lamp and a light because God's word is truth. So because God is faithful, so is his word. And because God is faithful, then what he says always matches what he does. His word always matches his character. So secondly, God is faithful in all he does. This too is so different than what we normally encounter in our world, isn't it? So often, the people we talk to, what they say doesn't match up with who they are or what they do. And that shatters trust. That's never the case with God. He's always faithful in all he does. And listen to Exodus 34.6 tell us this. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, I won't go into Exodus 34 again. We've done it so often in our series here in the Fruit of the Spirit. But again, this is God revealing himself to Moses on the mountain. And among all the things God wants to reveal about who he is, God God demands that we know that he abounds in faithfulness. He overflows in it. He is so faithful, we should react like Paul every time we doubt it, because it's not just that he barely squeaks by the line of faithfulness. He overflows in it. He abounds in it. He cannot not be faithful. Everything that flows through him is faithfulness. He, God wants us to know that he abounds in it. And that word faithfulness uh, in the Hebrew is literally the word truth. And so it, it can be translated faithfulness or truth depending on the context. Uh, here in Exodus 34, the context isn't God just revealing that he abounds in truth, that he's full of truth. But that because he is truth, everything he says is completely reliable, So, he will always keep his word. He's a God who abounds in steadfast love and in keeping his word. You can trust him. It's not just that he's truth out there, but that he is truth incarnate to us. He abounds in it, he faithfully keeps his word, which is why the ESV translates it as do most translations faithfulness. God abounds in faithfulness because God's actions always match his character. But that's where the, the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but there are times when it doesn't look like God is faithful. Amen. Or I wonder, how is this God keeping his promises? It sure feels like it's the complete opposite. But that's why God's word must be the foundation of our lives. I mean, you must define your life... By God's word and not make the Bible fit your life. Do you know what I mean? You must take the truths of God's word and then use them as the lens to see everything in this world through. Use God's word to shape your view of things rather than making God's word fit the world and your circumstances. And so so five points. When what you know about God and His Word doesn't exactly make sense of the world around you yeah. or give you enough reasons to explain what's happening, too often people then take those circumstances and blow up their view of the Bible yeah. rather than using the Bible to blow up their temptation to doubt God's faithfulness. So in those moments when you're not exactly sure how God's faithfulness aligns with everything that's going on in your life, say along with Paul, "Let God be true, and everyone else a liar," which sometimes is going to be that still small voice inside you going, "I'm not sure you can trust God." Now let God be true and everything and everyone else a liar. God is faithful. God is faithful, and he cannot ever be unfaithful. And so, how can we be sure in times like that? These are are truths that have been expounded since the beginning of the church. God is faithful. He's faithful in all he says and all he does. There's no historic Christian that will ever say, that's not right. But how do we know that tomorrow? How can we take what we know and have been true for centuries, how do we take that and drill them down deep into our lives? Let's just count a couple ways God is faithful in all he does. God is faithful to forgive. God is faithful to forgive. As 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to forgive. And if there's anything that's a given in our world, it's how unfaithful we are. How often we sin and fail. And that's a terrifying reality in light of our holy God. And so isn't it breathtakingly glorious that rather than hiding or rationalizing or making excuses for our unfaithfulness, that God will forgive our sins when we humbly confess them. The God who is judge is also the God who invites us to come confess them because he will forgive us of the things we rightly deserve judgment for. And we don't even have to go in with a bunch of reasons of why God should consider forgiving us. That, do those things ever run through your head? Or do you ever think uh comes to mind a bunch of promises start coming to try and persuade God when you enter the throne room? Like, okay, if I got it, I, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. God, if you, can, I'll never do it. All those things, you know, that's just... It's the complete opposite of God how invites us to come. Because you don't come in confession of sins because of your faithfulness. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's faithful. I don't have to count on me or reasons or coming up with a pretty airtight argument for why God should forgive me. I just come in humbly confession of all my unfaithfulness And I drill down into God's faithfulness. And that's so freeing, brothers and sisters. And again, in this context of Galatians 5, Paul's been talking about slavery and freedom. And that the flesh, things like going in, trying to work up a good enough argument for God to forgive you, that's slavery to the flesh, because your faithfulness didn't make God turn towards you in the first place and so your unfaithfulness can't make God turn away from you it's because it's not about you and even when we sin in ways that make us think oh boy I really did it this time I re- this time might be too much is 1 John 1, 9 still true? it is because we can be sure that when we go to God in confession, we won't be met with disappointment or shame or distance or with a list of things that you got to go complete and then come back in and try again. When we come to God in confession of sin, we are met with full, free, and loving forgiveness. Not because of who we are, but because God is faithful. God's faithful. He will forgive, not because of us, but because of Jesus and all he's already done. And so not only is God faithful to forgive, because of who Jesus is and what he's already done, God is faithful to preserve. Another anchor for our souls is not only God's forgiveness, but how God preserves his people. God is faithful to preserve his people. That's why I love Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Our God is faithful to finish what he started. Uh, Some of you are like this. I'm like this. I I have to finish things. I could hate a movie. I'm going to finish it. I could hate a book. I'm going to finish it because it's more annoying for me not to finish it than it is to read the annoying book. Some of you are like, that's dumb. Don't waste your time. Get a, get a new book. <laughs> go, go do something you enjoy. And that's okay. But I just can't. I can't, can't put it down, even if it's going to annoy the snot out of me while I do it. Which is actually, again, exactly the opposite of God. That's not how God is finishing his work in us. Our God accomplishes all his purpose, including bringing his people all the way to the end into Christ-like maturity on the day of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't complete that work like I complete a novel I don't like. It's actually God's good pleasure to bring to completion the work of creation and then salvation, redemption that he started in his people. And if if we can be honest with each other for a little bit, we are annoying <laughs> like you know you might not think you are but if you have a true friend they will tell you that you are sometimes cuz we're all annoying we all we're we're all we're all we all have these little things that annoy there are little annoyances but even worse than that we are people who fail greatly at times and in those moments of little annoyances or great Failures. how you think about God determines your next steps. If you think you you have to get yourself right with God and that God's judging you on your faithfulness, well, then you're not going to go where 1 John 1-9 tells you to. But if your little annoyances and your great failures are just another opportunity for God to put on display His great faithfulness, As solemnly as you will enter confession, you will go. Because you know what's going to be met is God's love and grace. Our sin is just an opportunity for God to display his great faithfulness. Which is why the focus of Philippians 1 is not you, but God. Paul's confidence rests not in our faithfulness or our ability to finally get it all together or or our strength to make it to the end, but God's. We can be sure, not because of anything else, but because he is faithful to finish what he started. I mean, can you imagine if God only started us on the way to salvation and then left it up to you to figure out the way? And not only figure out the way, but then to finally make it to the end? I mean if God was not faithful to complete the good work he started in us the only thing we could be confident about is that we'd walk right back onto the way of death but God but God is faithful he faithfully completes what he begins and so five points God will never leave off his children no matter how bad it gets because our God never quits he never fails he's always faithful you might feel like quitting. You will fail. And if God left you to yourself, surely you would quit and ultimately fail. But God never quits. Even in those moments when you doubt his love. Even when you doubt that he knows what he's doing. God is bringing to completion what he started because he's faithful. And we can be sure that God forgives and saves and preserves his people. Because on the darkest day of human history, when evil men crucified the Son of God and laid Him in a tomb, even in those moments, God was bringing to completion what He began before the foundation of the world, what He purposed before the foundation of the world, that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God would save a people from their sin and death for the glory of His name. And in those moments, What those people meant for evil and what all everyone could see around them was evil, God meant for good. Even though Satan thought he had won, even when all the disciples couldn't see anything but unfaithfulness and failure, even then God was faithful. He always has been and he always will be. And so that is the root of God and his faithfulness. He is faithful in all he says and all he does in creation and towards his people. And so that root then leads to the Spirit growing the fruit of faithfulness in the lives of God's people. And so I just want to highlight quickly three ways that the fruit of faithfulness is produced by the Spirit in the lives of God's people. Three ways. We're faithful to God, number one. We're faithful to God. Faithfulness as a fruit of the Spirit primarily shows up in our faithfulness to God. That's why Matthew 22 says this. And he, that's Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The Spirit produces a faithfulness to God. But notice how this faithfulness begins. It doesn't begin with duty, does it? It starts with delight. It starts with our hearts. It begins with our affections, our love. And so, far from having you walk out of here thinking, okay, I'm feeling pretty convicted. I gotta get better at being faithful. You should find a new pastor if that's what you heard. Because you'll not even get to your car before you fail. (laughs) You cannot walk out of here trying harder and then thinking that that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not. It doesn't start with a list of things to do. It starts with what's already been done. God's faithful. And the more you meditate on God's faithfulness to you, the more that will fuel a deep love for God that will then deepen your faithfulness to him. So faithfulness is not first about your faithfulness. It's about meditating on how God has been so faithful to you. And then that fueling a deep love for God, which deepens your faithfulness to him. In other words, the more you see God's faithfulness to us, the more the Spirit will produce a deep loyalty to God in us. And we know this. And we have to do this looking backwards, don't we? You might not know how God is faithful right now. But can you remember a time when you also felt like that? And now looking back, you see how God brought you through? And this is why we need the church. This is why one of the reasons the covenant of membership says we will not neglect the gathering together regularly with each other. There might be providence after providence after providence after providence after providence before I ever see how God was faithful through the first one. I might be knee-deep in the next one and head-deep in the third one. And so I need brothers and sisters that will remind me and say, God's faithful. Let me tell you a story. And so we need each other. Do not neglect coming together and engaging with one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. Because you might be here not to get something from this, which is too often the American view of worship. But you might be here because God's going to have you walk into someone's life to hear about his faithfulness to you so that they can get through whatever they're going through and keep their eyes on him. So the more we meditate and help others meditate on God's faithfulness to us, the more the Spirit will produce a deep faithfulness to God in us. And how that works out leads to the second way the Spirit produces faithfulness in God's people. We're faithful to God's Word. To be faithful to God, we've got to be faithful to God's Word. And now, I don't mean that you will always perfectly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't mean that you will always perfectly keep God's Word. We're not talking about perfection when we say we're faithful to God's word. We're talking about authority. We're talking about authority. Who has the final word about what you think, say, or do? Who? If if you don't think this is a question of our age, then you're not paying attention. Our culture says you do. You do. You're, you're your final authority. Be true to yourself. But that's a gospel of death. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 4 that we don't live on food alone. We don't live on food alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the Bible isn't just a list of things to do, it's life. It's life. And dying to self doesn't feel like life. (laughs) Giving up the authority of our lives doesn't feel like freedom. It doesn't feel like life, but who is our authority? What will be your authority? Who gets to define what true life really is? Being faithful to God's word isn't easy and our culture isn't going to make it any easier for us. But what will be our authority on the questions of our day and any question that may come in any future day? Like, why did God make us embodied creatures? Why didn't He make us like angels? Why do we have bodies? Why were we made in His image? And why did He make us male and female only? Why? How? I mean, what is the purpose of our bodies? And then how are we to live in them daily? Like, how are we to live? What's the purpose of sex? And who gets to tell us what it is and the boundaries for engaging in it? Who gets to tell us when life begins and who gets to end it? And those are maybe easy ones. Those are maybe softballs. For churches like ours. But who gets to tell us how to use our time? Who gets to tell me how I should spend my money? And we can just keep going on. Who who is our uh, authority? And so the Spirit's fruit of faithfulness is actually an unswerving loyalty to God's word as our final authority, as our ultimate authority that he and his word will shape what I say, think, and do. And then ultimately, that leads to a third way. There's many more, but I think these three are some of the big ones. A third way that the Spirit produces faithfulness in God's people. We're we're faithful to God's mission. If we're going to be faithful to God and to his word, ultimately, our lives will be faithful to his mission. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus tasks his people to go into all the world, go into all the world, and make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them all Jesus command them. We're to go to all nations and preach the gospel. And so one way to gauge the fruit of faithfulness in our lives is to gauge the degree of faithfulness in which we orient our lives around Jesus' mission is the fruit of faithfulness growing in you? One way to answer that question is, are you faithful to the mission Jesus gave his church? Why do we have today? And what are we going to do with it? Well, faithfulness to God and his word is being faithful to God's values. Faithful to God's values. And some of us think the sum of faithfulness is to only stand firm against the spirit of the age. And that is faithfulness, but that's only part of it. To stand for truth, yes. But too often in our time, standing in faithfulness is only standing against things. But part of faithfulness is also living in ways that our culture sees what the church is for, not only what we're against. And the church should not only be known what we're against, but also what we're for. And so let's not only be faithful in standing against the spirit of the age, but let's also be faithful in resisting the tyranny of the urgent. Because it's actually the tyranny of the urgent that too often knocks us off the path of God's mission. I'm not making disciples because I'm too busy, but really busy with things that don't ultimately matter. So let's be faithful in resisting the tyranny of the urgent. By ordering our lives around God's mission for the glory of his name to be seen and known and enjoyed by every people on earth. So as I close, and, and let me ask you to think about this in, in terms of a simple question. On the last day, Jesus has already told us what his people will hear on judgment day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Now that's a simple question that helps us faithfully resist the tyranny of the urgent. Am I, and what I am about today, and how I'm going about my business, am I, is my life and my values aligning with what God values Well, on that last day will I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That defining question will help us order and orient our lives every day around God's values and his mission. We want to hear those words, five points. And ultimately, we can have confidence that because God began a good work in us, He is faithful to complete it. But we can see His completing work in us as we're faithful to Him and to His Word and to His mission. So may the Spirit grant us the grace to be faithful to the God who has always been faithful to us. Let's pray. Father, we come once again amazed at who You are, how faithful you have been, how faithful you are, how sure we can be that you will always be faithful. And so we pray that as we gaze upon the glory of your faithfulness, that you would transform us into people of faithfulness, that your spirit would grant us the grace to be more and more faithful as you make us into the image of our faithful Savior. And we pray these things so that our neighbors and the nations might see and know and enjoy you through your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray now as we come to this table, you would again give us a confidence not in us or in what we've done, but in your great faithfulness alone.